We're going to continue to worship in a short while. I want to share a few thoughts with you this morning on the significance of the resurrection. In preparing, I realized that it's absolutely impossible to amplify this message in any way. This story in itself stands tall. There's no way I can, I can do it justice to try and make it more glamorous or more powerful than what it is. It is one of those things that you read in the Bible and you just think, God is amazing. And my hope this morning is as we look at a few verses and a few stories around the resurrection, that it would be amplified in your life this morning. Not what I say, but that this message of the cross and the tomb and Jesus risen will become a greater reality in your life. My goal today is to simply point to the story. My goal is not to try and fluff it up with better words or a better description. It's simply to say, let's open the word of God together and look at the significance. And my prayer this morning is that the joy of our salvation will be restored to us. If we have that, it doesn't matter what happens around us. It really doesn't. It's insignificant. Eternal life starts the moment you come to Jesus Christ and accept this message that it is done. And we can be in a position where we are unwavering. And we can enter a rest according to Hebrews chapter 4. That we can stay and remain in regardless of what happens around us. Because of the complete work of the cross. Imagine with me for a minute the expectation in the disciples' hearts after Jesus has died. Not just in their hearts, but the expectation in the hearts of everyone who's heard his message, who might have followed him for a few miles to hear his stories, and who's seen his moment of crucifixion. Imagine the expectation in the hearts of those who sat down and for three hours observed his pain, still continuing to mock him, still continuing to spit upon him. And that moment that he breathed his last breath, the shaking that they felt, and the revelation that came to them that this truly was the Son of God. First day went past and the expectation was there. The second day went past and that expectation was there. And then we know what happened on the third day. And I'm going to read for us out of the book of John this morning. He has the most written about the, the effect of the resurrection and everything that happened afterwards. So John chapter 20, if you want to follow in your Bible this morning, we don't have any slides. And we're going to read the first moment where this expectation was fulfilled and then recognizing that Jesus is no longer in the tomb. Verse 1, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She came because she had an expectation. Early in the morning, she woke up to go there and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple. In the pitch dark, she ran to them to tell them what she had seen. They might have still been asleep early morning. And she went to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Even after all the things that Jesus has said about his resurrection, they were faced with doubt at what has just happened ahead of them. 
So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. It was the two oceans marathon for these two. It was Anthony up against Eugene, and they outrun one another to try and get to the tomb. Out of that expectation and excitement that Jesus is no longer in it. Can you just imagine with me for a minute what it must have felt like for them? Three days later, they saw it. They experienced all of it. And then they got news that he's not there anymore. They jumped up and started running, and it was a bit of a race. Peter was probably the one that battled it a little bit more. And stopping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him. Sorry, the disciple whom Jesus loved saw the the linen cloth, but didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which has been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. He was scared to go in. He didn't know what he was going to find on the inside. And here Peter is, and if you know anything about Peter, he was quite an impulsive dude who just did stuff. Um, If you read the stories of how he operated, he just went straight in to see what happened. And here's the other disciple hanging out a little bit, and then eventually he goes in to believe what Mary has said, that Jesus no longer is in the tomb. For as yet, as they did not understand the scripture, that he must... rise from the dead. They were still blinded and in doubt in what needed to happen. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Simple as that. The Bible doesn't say much more what happened in the in-between, but then the story continues and we know that Mary Magdalene stayed behind and she was weeping because the body of Jesus was gone. And the next moment Jesus appeared to her and he said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she supposed him to be the gardener, just an ordinary bloke. And she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, still believing that Jesus is dead. And I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. He called her by her name. And the penny dropped. And she turned and she said, Rabboni, which means teacher. And then Jesus said something very interesting. He says, do not cling to me. The word cling there means do not come and touch me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. This is what Jesus does after resurrection. He comes and he calls our names in person. He says, Marla, Eugene, Corrine. Dion, Paul. And we have this revelation that he is calling us, that he is risen, that he is king, and he desires for us to be with him. And then that desire sparks in the heart of Mary, and she desperately wants to cling to him like she used to, at his feet, worshiping him in glory and in his worth. And he told her, wait a little bit. I have to ascend to the Father, but there's some business that I need to take care of before I do. So why don't you run ahead and tell the others that I'm alive? And off she go, and she did that. She went to the disciples, and she told the story to them. And this morning, I want to have a look at the interactions Jesus had with the disciples after resurrection. 
He didn't just go back to heaven. He could have. He was ready. He was restored in his state of deity, of being God. He could have returned to the Father, but he stayed behind for a little while. And the question came to mind, but why did he stay? And when we study his interaction with Mary, his interaction with Thomas, who doubted, with the Apostle Peter, and with all the disciples, we see why Jesus stayed behind. And my prayer this morning is that as we study these interactions, that God would speak to you about what the resurrection means to you this morning. Because he's ready to call your name and reveal to you that he has risen for you. So let's pray together as we look at this. Holy Spirit, I pray as we open your word and study these encounters you had after the resurrection, that you will speak to our hearts. I pray that you will preach this message this morning to our hearts. I avail myself to be used by you in, in the way that you desire. And I pray, Lord, that each one of us would leave you changed as you call our names this morning because you love us and you've done this for us. In Jesus' name, amen. The first encounter he had is a little bit further on in verses 19 to 23. And I'm going to read only a few of those verses to talk about the first significance of the resurrection and the encounter thereafter. On the evening of that day, a little bit later that day at nighttime, the first day of the week, the doors, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Boo! <laughs> no, he didn't. I can imagine the doors are locked. They are fearful. They're already scared. And all of a sudden, here's Jesus in between them. And here's something very significant happened. The first words he speaks to them is, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They need a little bit of proof. Because I can imagine them saying, Jesus is gone, his body is gone. The Jews probably taken him. What is happening? We are scared. They might just come and take us. Imagine the door opened. They would have probably tried and run and closed the door because it might be the Jews coming at them. Jesus just gently walks into the scene in his new state of body. And he says, peace be with you. Isn't that a word in season for us this morning? Peace be with us. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. And I'm going to pause it there. The first significant thing that came out of the encounters after resurrection to us this morning is the word peace. And this is a multifaceted peace. This isn't just a peace in that moment where they saw Jesus and said, we can breathe and relax now because Jesus is with us. Because the very next verse, he says, now I'm going to send you. Don't stay here with me. Like he told Mary, don't cling to me. Run and tell that I'm alive. The peace that he had given them in that moment is that he is alive. And that he has risen. And he has overcome death, overcame death. The peace he has given them in that moment is that there can be peace between man and God. The peace that he has given them in that moment is that the price was paid fully and restored to them is their intimacy with the Father. The peace that came to them in this moment was that there's a rest and a refreshing that they can enter in. And this was important for Jesus to use this as his first words. 
when he encountered it. It reminds me of Isaiah 9 verse 7. That says the prophecy of the child. Unto us a child is born. And then verse 7 says. And of the increase of his government and of his peace there will be no end. And here he steps into the chaos of that moment of the fearfulness and the uncertainty of what has happened. Jesus has died. His body is gone. And he steps and says, I'm going to calm the storm once again. And I'm going to speak my peace to you. Because my peace keeps increasing and increasing as my kingdom does. And it never ends. There's a never-ending increase of God's peace available to us. And this is what he taught to them after his resurrection. So first of all, peace. Let's say peace. There are four tables that we've set this morning that we are going to partake of to represent the four things that Jesus has for us after his resurrection. The next part of the story continues. And he says to them this. Or he showed to them their hands. His hands and and his sight. And then we know the story that Thomas later on saw Jesus again with the disciples, eight days later, and he was still doubting that Jesus is alive. And then verse 26 says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, and although the doors were locked, I can imagine them closing the doors again and saying, I wonder if Jesus is going to rock up again today. That expectation. The next moment, Jesus appeared, and he came and he stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in mine. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The second thing that Jesus did after his resurrection is he wanted to prove that he is alive. He didn't want us to go wondering if this ever happened. And he knew in Thomas's heart that there was doubt. And he, with his grace, came and he said, Thomas, let me help you overcome this hurdle. Here's my hand. Why don't you put your hand in mine and feel there where they've nailed me to the tree. And that gave Thomas the proof that he needed that Jesus is risen. Some of us might sit here this morning and we're a little bit like, well, you know what? What's the proof in the story for me? Maybe... There's, there's seeds of doubt in our hearts that this story is really true. The one thing I know about God is that He is very keen to come with His grace and show Himself to us. I remember years back, I did a stupid thing, and I prayed one day. I said, Jesus, I need proof that there's power in Your name. So please put me in a circumstance where I need to call out on Your name so that I can experience what it is like to do this. This was my first year in Stellenbosch, all fired up, getting ready for ministry, and like, it's all good that it's there, but I want to see it in my life. So give me an opportunity. A week later, I woke up the night before I had to drive to Pretoria for my my school break, or my study break, and I woke up the night before we had to leave, and I was terribly unsettled. Don't know why, don't know what the reasons were. The next day, normal day, and then that evening at about 7 o'clock, we left Stellenbosch, And about 10 o'clock that night, two of my car tires just burst at the same moment. On the the N1, on the road of death, you guys know about the road of death? Every time I drive through that, I call it the road of life. Going to speak life over that road between Beaufort Vest and Lanesburg. 
And two tires just burst, and I was carrying a trailer and five people with me in the car, and I totally lost control over the vehicle. And all I remember coming out of my mouth was, Jesus. And the next moment, the car just kind of skidded to the side, and it came to, to, to a halt on a ledge of maybe a four-meter drop where we should have been going down. And you know what? God told me something. He said, you know what, Pierre? If you ask of me and you need a little bit of proof, I'm willing to give it to you. <laughs> and I thought about Thomas. And my dad always used to call me ongelovige Thomas. I'm one of those non-gullible guys. You can tell me something and it's going to take a little bit of convincing. So my dad would tell me stuff and then I'm like, I don't believe it. It says ongelovige Thomas. And then he shows me. And a little bit like Jesus said, imagine how blessed you would have been if you believed without seeing. But Jesus is willing to prove that he is risen to us this morning like he did to Thomas. This week in Germany, we were praying, San Marie and I, on the, the, in, in the city plain of Bremen, where we did evangelism. The band was playing Eins on the guitar, Lena, Sumeri and Hermann on a cajon making music and it pulled the crowds. So there were people all around, and then we would pray and say, God, who are the ones that you've got an appointment with? So we walked up to three youngsters, two sisters and a brother, who were visiting the city because their grandfather was very ill. Start up a conversation. Say, yeah, we're from South Africa. This is our music. Uh, I thought maybe they thought we were trying to sell them a CD or something. And then I just switched over and said, do you believe in spiritual things? And they're like, uh, yeah, maybe a little bit. And we said, well, we're actually here to tell people about Jesus. Have you heard about Jesus before? They're like, uh, no, a little bit. I'm like, well, do you believe that there's a God? And, and all three of them said, they do believe that there's a higher being. And then I said, you know what? Do you believe that God can actually have a relationship with you? Because of Jesus. And they're all like, no, sorry. The one said, I believe in evolution. The other one said, I'm a Buddhist. Or I try to be a Buddhist. And we shared the gospel with them. And that the gospel is one where you don't have to work to attain salvation. And then God laid something on my heart. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray for you that you experience God. Do you think that's possible? And they said, no, it's impossible. I said, well... If you are willing and allowing us to do that, we, let's give it a go. And they said, they are. So Samri put a hand on the one girl. The guy stepped back a little bit, a little bit not sure that he wants to hear this. And I put my hand on the, on the other lady and we prayed with them. And while I was praying, I said, God, I pray that if you exist, that you will just make their hearts beat a little bit faster right now. And I kept praying and I stood back and I said, did you guys feel anything? And their eyes just lit up. And they said, our hearts were beating faster when you prayed that. I said, that is living God giving you the proof that he is alive and that Jesus has made a way. And we shared the gospel message with them. We invited them, but they were a little bit hesitant. And we said, you know what? We might never see you again, but don't forget this moment. And here's the encouragement. See God, because he's ready to have an encounter with you. And just like Thomas, Jesus stopped after his resurrection to go to heaven to make sure that he can leave us some proof that he is truly risen. He knew that some hearts would be doubting. And maybe you've got a doubting heart this morning. And my encouragement to you this morning is that God is ready to show himself faithful to you. If you take that step of faith and reaching out and putting your hand in his to feel. It still took faith on Thomas' behalf to reach out and put his hand in Jesus. To actually do that. And then here's the good and the great part. He says, blessed are those who believe without seeing. So you around here who believe are hashtag blessed. 
because you believe in Jesus Christ without seeing. But somehow that sounds a little bit odd because all I do in my life in walking with Jesus, I just see him everywhere. There's living proof all around. The fact that we are here because some men back then dedicated themselves to this message, to me, is living proof to my eyes that Jesus is alive. The fact that the nature cries out of his glory is living proof to me that Jesus is alive. The fact that I see people change from darkness to light is living proof that Jesus is alive. So this morning, not only is his peace available, but secondly, his proof is available to us. And then my favorite interaction that took place after the resurrection was he's with Peter. And this speaks about Jesus' pardon. You see, he could have died on the cross and he could have said, I'm taking your sins. But unless he was resurrected, it would have been an exercise in vain. And because of his resurrection, we can now accept the pardon he has for us. So the story goes in the next chapter, the final chapter of the book of John, how Peter were battling with this idea that Jesus has come back. Now the question comes to mind, why? And then we are reminded that a few chapters earlier, he denied Jesus. When Jesus was being taken to the cross, being crucified, there was a, a, a group of people gathering up around the fire. And, and this is amazing how God works. They were gathering around the fire, and they pulled Peter closer to the fire. And they said, do you believe in this Jesus? And he said, ah, sorry, no, not me. I'm not part of that. And then they asked him a second time, and one of the guards that were there when they caught Jesus in the garden said, but I'm sure I saw you with Jesus there. Do you believe? And he said, no, it must have been someone else looking like me. And me. And then a third time, we know how the story goes. They asked, are you sure you're not a follower of Jesus? And he said, I'm sure I'm not. And here, a few days later, Jesus is alive. And Peter struggled with his own sin. He struggled with the fact that a few days earlier he turned his back on Jesus. And I can imagine him saying, I can't deal with this right now. And then the Bible says in chapter 21 that he said, you know what, you guys go and hang out with Jesus. I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to return to what I was before I met him. Because the accuser of the brethren, the enemy, were probably whispering in his ear saying, Peter, you've messed it up. You aren't worthy of the pardon of Jesus Christ. And so they went out and they went to catch fish. And then the story unfolds, and this is beautiful. They went into the boat and they were trying to catch fish. And then Jesus, at the breaking of day, stood at the shore watching them catching fish. He took some of the disciples with him. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? Have you caught anything? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the other side of the boat and you will find some. And this is amazing. In Luke chapter 5, when Jesus called Peter, he did exactly the same miracle. And he took him right back to that moment where he called and established Peter as a fisher of men. He was standing on the side looking at Peter with probably compassion in his heart saying, why do you hate yourself and despise yourself that you've messed it up when I've taken that on me on the cross and I've overcome death. He said, have you caught anything? And they said, no, we haven't. And he takes him right back to that first moment and says, well, lay down your nets again. And they pull up a whole lot of fish. 
And then Jesus started making a fire. This is profound. He was the original briar. He knew that there was a deep conversation needing to happen amongst men, so he pulled the fire together. When we were in Germany, we said, this is great that we are here, but then on the Sunday night, we said, the South African men are going to make a fire. And we had an incredible time. We'll tell you all about that next week. Next week. But Jesus made a fire, and he called him. And at that point of time, Peter probably struggled with what has just happened, because he was reminded that the same miracle happened the day that Jesus called him. And Jesus said, come here. And he made them breakfast, and he served them. I said this on Friday, the king, Jesus, still remained a servant. That today he is busy serving by preparing a place for us that we can go back to one day. He never stopped serving. He's the epitome of what service is and servant leadership is. And then they had breakfast together and then the profound moment where I can imagine him embracing Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? And three times he asked him, and three times around the fire, where three days ago he denied Jesus, around the fire Jesus said, I give you three opportunities to undo your denying of me. And he was pardoned. Isn't that profound? And some of us remain far off from Jesus like Peter. We say, we've gone fishing. We are done with these things because of stuff that we've done in our lives. And the cross and the resurrection teaches us that Jesus welcomes us back every single time that we are willing to come. And maybe your miracle is this morning again where he awakens in you again that first love that you might have put aside because of your doing. The third table is the one of pardon. And Jesus saying, I'm willing and because of the cross and the death and my resurrection, I can forgive all your sins. It's a beautiful story. absolutely love it. And then the last and very important one, and Brian and Corinne can come and join me. In John chapter 20, verse 17, he said to them this, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, and then I jump to verse 22. Receive the Holy Spirit. And then he also said to them, Even so I am sending you. And throughout all the Gospels, Jesus, when he encountered his disciples after resurrection, said, I'm going to send you like the Father sent me. And then jumping forward in Acts chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, 7 to 9, sorry, he said, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The last table that Jesus set for us is the one of purpose and power, where we and all of us need to come to and say, Jesus Christ, because of what you have done, our purpose is clear. You've now called us to go and witness to the story. The very reason we are here today is because someone understood their purpose out of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they went and they witnessed to others who witnessed to you. So not only this morning is he saying, I'm here to prove to you that I'm alive. Not only this morning is he stepping into our world and saying, peace be with you. Don't fret, don't be frantic, don't worry about the things around you. 
The joy of my salvation is your steady anchor. Peace be with you. To some of us this morning, he is saying again, you are pardoned. Even if you've denied me, like Peter, if you come back to me, I'm willing to embrace you again. And all I'm asking is, do you love me? And if you say yes to that, he comes and he embraces us with his fullness. And then to all of us this morning, the massive feast of taking this message to the world. It is the grandest thing to do in your life. I've seen it again with my own eyes this past week. Taking the gospel where it's not been heard for many years. Just sharing it. Now people are so hungry. It is the greatest fulfillment to speak the name of Jesus in the darkness and light comes. One of our team members, and I I know he wouldn't mind sharing with this, was his first mission like this. And he said, for 18 years, I've been a Christian. And I'm angry with myself because I feel like I've missed it. And this week, God showed me what it is to truly be a Christian. And it's taking this message to the world. How could I have missed this for 18 years? And God met him and he had a head-on encounter with his calling and what God is calling him into. And he said, I'm never going to do life the same again. Maybe you feel like you've been giving up on life. It doesn't make sense. There's no purpose. There's no means There's no end to the means. Everything is just confusing. The resurrection story tells you this morning that there's a purpose. But not just that, there's a power. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is alive in us today when we surrender to him. These interactions after resurrection wasn't just recorded as something to read was recorded as something for us to remember. And my prayer this morning is that you will ask God, do I need to embrace your peace again? If you need proof this morning, simply ask Him to touch you. Ask someone next to you to pray with you. Ask Him to reveal Himself to you. The Bible says in James 4 verse 8, if you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. All you have to do this morning is draw near. Some of you have turned your back on Jesus and the accuser have been shouting in your ear. Just accept His pardon and His forgiveness and His overcoming. And then all of us this morning can go to the table of purpose and say, Jesus, I want to live a life that counts for you by the power that you have available for us. Brian And Sean wrote a song this week that they're going to minister to us this morning. And may this speak to your heart. And while they minister this, ask the Holy Spirit to show to you from which table you need to eat this morning. And then let's step out of faith like Thomas did. Where he needed to put his hand in Jesus and say, I accept what you have for me.